morning. Here we go again. Back to the camera. <laughs> um, hope you guys have had a good week. We're going to jump back into Colossians again. I hope my glowing face is not blinding anybody. That's one of the joys of coaching in the desert. You get plenty of sunshine and it's unmerciful on your skin. So, but maybe that'll give you something different to look at, especially against the white shirt, you know, and red face. I don't, anyway. <laughs> Let's jump into the Word and uh, talk. Again, this is not uh, church. I say it every week. I will always say it. This is me unpacking a text, a piece of the Word of God from Colossians. And then tonight, we're all going to gather around and discuss that Word of God. So, love for you to join us. Anyone is welcome to. Uh, hit us up online. Send us an email. Send us a message. Uh, any number of online locations. And uh, you should see them there. But we will uh, respond and tell you how to get where we are and would love for you to come, whoever you are, and be part of what we're doing. So uh, we're going to jump in today into Colossians and continue on. The theme that we've been sitting on, which is cool because we're going to get to it today, is Colossians 3.3, for you've died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. So we're going to nail that one today. Uh, let me read it, our passage and then we'll go. So here it is. Verse 1 of chapter 3 of Colossians. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the on the excuse me, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you've died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you've put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. Uh, put on the new self, yep, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. That's what I'm talking about. Lord, I love you. Thank you for this text. Thank you for your word, God. It is your word. I say that every week, but it's never cliche. It's your word, and I trust, God, that you'll speak, that we'll be able to honor you through what you say and never through what I say. Let my words be a reflection of your heart. And I pray that you teach even me as I'm a student here as well, a student of you, a student of your word. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, there was an old commercial by uh, Merrill Lynch. Move my glasses here. Old commercial by Merrill Lynch, and uh, they have this bull walking through a china shop. It's a pretty famous commercial. Um, remember when, maybe the 70s or 80s. But anyway, uh, they were advertising how your investments are safe with them. But what gave impact to the commercial was the fact that the last place you want to see a longhorn bull is walking through a china shop. <laughs> um, many of us, I think, fail to realize who we are 
because we fail to live like we belong to the kingdom of God. We feel maybe like we're a bull in a china shop. Like maybe we're walking through life and we're just terrified we're going to break something and make God mad. Or maybe it's the other way. Maybe that, you know, we believe we are something less than we really are. Maybe we're afraid that we're going to screw up, um, and sin and that we're like a pig. And, and and just uh, God can't be pleased with us. God can't be happy with us. Like we're just sinful and ugly and miserable. And that, but but not a pig living outside. A pig living inside. Excuse me while I fix my cable here. It's all hanging out. Ooh, there. It's all live, folks. I'm telling you, it's all live, man. I don't I don't cut this junk. It's just me. So I don't have a, I have no no editor anyway. Sorry. <laughs> So maybe that's you. Maybe you feel one of those two ways. Well, today Paul's pointing us towards living like you belong here, like you're supposed to be here. And by here in the kingdom of God, and you'll see what I'm saying, but Paul's explaining to the Colossians that, you know, their lives, they've been changed by Christ. And because of that, their actions should reflect their present position in Christ. And look, listen, if you're a person of faith, uh, and your faith is in Christ, then your old life is dead. Here it is in the text. And your new life, which is secure in Christ, should reflect his kingdom by the way you live it. All right? That's kind of the arching theme here of what we're going to talk about, that if you're a person of faith and your old life is dead, and your new life, which is secure in Christ, should Reflect his kingdom by the way you live it. And there's three ways we're going to look at it from the text. Set your mind above. All action statements here. Set your mind above. Put self to death and embrace transformation. Set your mind above. Put self to death. Embrace transformation. So of those three, which one do you think is the biggest challenge for you? Think a minute. Which one of those is the biggest challenge for you? When I say here, I'm not just pulling that word out of the, out of the sky. Here in, is in verse 11. Here there is no. So that's where I'm saying. Here is the key word. Not here in America. Not here in Arizona. Not here in Tempe. Not here in the first century Colossae. Uh, he's talking about here in the kingdom of God or even here in Christ. Same thing. So first, set your mind above, he says. Verse 1, chapter 3. Uh, in chapter 2, verse 20, he said, you can look back at it, if you died then. So now he's saying, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek, this is an imperative, it's a command, it's a do. Seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Everything that follows note here hinges on an if-then statement, okay? Very big point here. If then you have been raised... So if you're not a born-again Christian, okay, if Jesus is not Lord of your life, if Jesus is not the one that you've turned to for forgiveness, the one who alone you claim as your righteousness before God, if that's not Christ, if that's not who you are, then the following, what we're looking at here is not specifically for you. However, however, I want you to hear it. I want you to see it so that you'll know what's possible for you. Um, if you surrender your life to him, this is, this is his kingdom pictured right here. So, uh, Christ, it says he's seated here. It means 
Think about what that means. That means he's alive. It says we're raised with him, so therefore he's raised. He's alive. He's not dead. He's alive. And firmly on the throne. That's what seated means. It just means taking a knee. He's on the throne. He is in control. The fact that it says at the right hand of God is symbolizing power and authority. With all the authority and power of God, uh, I could give you multiple Old Testament locations for that, but let me give you a New Testament one from Jesus' own mouth. In Luke 22, verse 66, it says, When the day came, when day came, the assembly of the elders of the people gathered together, both chief priests and scribes, and they led him, Jesus, away to their council, and they said, If you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, If I tell you, you will not believe. In other words, I am, and you have not believed. So if I tell you I am, you're still not going to believe. He says, and if I ask you, you will not, and if I ask you, you will not answer. But from now on, look what he says. The Son of Man shall be seated at the right hand of the power of God. So they all said, are you the Son of God then? And he said to them, you say that I am. In other words, he's saying, you said it with your own mouth, although you won't believe it. Sure enough, they don't. Then they said, what further testimony do we need? We've heard it ourselves from his own lips. They lead him to be crucified. Um, So what he's talking about with being seated at the right hand of God means all power. So this is who we are, guys. This is who we are. We've been raised with him, it says. We've been raised with him. So we should seek out those things. What things? The things that are of Christ where he is now risen, on the throne, all-powerful. Those are the things we need to seek. And he expands on that in verse 2. Set, another imperative. Seek and set here. Fix your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. The command is not something to do physically here necessarily, but to set your mind. So what he's challenging, commanding them to do is set their minds on something. Not go do this or go do this or don't do that. Set your mind. And what he says, set it on is things above. Heavenly things. Eternal things. Things outside of time. You can look at it that way. Outside of earthly circumstances. Above. In order to have proper perspective of what's happening here out of time outside of time in order to have a proper perspective of what's happening now you get it it's it's the mind that needs to be set there the intentions of our heart that's what he means by mind your mind guides your body soul everything your mind guides you so he's saying set it up there and Romans 12:2, for instance it says do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by what probably know it, the renewal of your mind, same thing. Um, Colossians 3.3 3 says, as we go on, he says, for or because you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Now, before we go on, uh, let me point out some things here. The if then, he says, you are saved by Christ alone, so he said to begin with here, let me point out some key words throughout this whole passage, okay? Throughout this whole passage I just read, let me point out some key words because I want you to see them right now before we go any further. He says, have been raised in verse 1, past tense. Have died, verse 3, past tense. 
is hidden. Our life is hidden in verse 3. That's a present tense situation, but it's an action of God. All right. Then you will. Verse 4, that's future. Once walked, verse 7, that's past. Were living, 7, that's past. Have put off, verse 9, that's the past. Have put on, verse 9, that's the past. And being renewed, verse 9, is the only other present action. And again, it's an action of God. That's all already happened. Our responsibilities in these three main points that I'm telling you today, the three points from the text, they're all dues for us, but they're all embedded in this description of our present condition, being in Christ. He is our identity already. It's already. He is our future hope already. He is our security already. He is our Savior already. We are citizens of his kingdom already. And so, if then, therefore, we should live like we belong in his kingdom. That's what he's trying to say. How many things on earth do we set our minds on? Just think about this. How many things on earth do we set our minds on? And then we wonder why we're depressed. Man, watch the news right now. Social media, any, any form of connecting with the world ought to depress you right now in so many ways. Why, why do we struggle with finding joy? Why do we find no satisfaction in, in our successes when we have them? Why can't we find freedom from addiction? Why can't we deal with our anger? Why are we bitter? Why are we resentful? Even as believers, that's the point he's made, talking to believers, these things torment us because our mind is set on temporary things and not eternal things. We even begin to compromise his kingdom for our own kingdom. His words for what seems popular to the world around us. Let me read this tweet that I saw this week. Um, the name was blurred out, although I know who posted it, but uh, the name was blurred out. But it says this. Sure, it is biblical, but biblical isn't the standard for Christians. Christ-like is. So whatever it is that you continue to push by saying it's biblical, if it is also anti-Christ, you truly are just using biblical to abuse the illusion of God's approval. Just that alone, that statement blows my mind. That you could separate Christ from his own word. But that's the, that's the way things are. That's the way we've gotten from where we set our minds. So my point is, set, listen to me, setting our minds above will always set them in his word. Setting our minds above will always set them in his word. Or you could look at it the other way. Set your mind in his word, it will always set it above. Because that's where he is. In the text here. So he says you've died. Doesn't mean you can't sin. Obviously we've already dealt with that. Or else why is Paul writing this, you know? You know, it means that you're no longer a slave to obey sin. You know, apart from Christ's work, it says in Hebrews uh, chapter 11 verse 6, it's impossible to please God that, that until Christ changes your life, 
We are, we are slaves to sin. We, we can do whatever we want, but none of it pleases God. But when the Holy Spirit comes in, when Christ saves our life, that bondage of the will, as Martin Luther called it, is broken. And now we're free to please God or continue to satisfy self. Now, one day, that self is going to fully be gone and we'll be able to only please God, which is going to be a glorious day. But right now, that's where we're at. And so that's what he's telling us. He said, when we turn our lives over to Christ, we've died on that cross with him. Our self has died. Our sinful nature went with Christ to that cross. And now we're free to choose to please Christ with our actions. Doesn't mean we can't sin, but it means we're free to choose not to sin and please him instead. All right, that's what he's saying. He also says we're hidden with Christ and God. Listen, you cannot be more secure than that. And I never do... Uh, illustration type things, but this one's just too good, so we're going to do it because this image is perfect. Um, and I may be stepping off camera. That's okay. Got to pull these over where you can see them. Borrow some of my wife's stuff. So we're going to pretend really quick because I'm going to illustrate this verse. We're going to pretend really quick that this is us, okay? It says Christ is in us. We've already read this countless times. Christ in you, right? So Christ is in us. I'm going to use this. You can't see it, but that's okay. It's going to be right back in front of you in two seconds. So I'm going to fill it to, to symbolize us, Christ being in us. Okay? Christ is in us. Then he says we are hidden in Christ. So we are now in Christ. If I wanted to write on these, I would, but I'm not going to. So now Christ is in us. We are in Christ. And then it says we're hidden with Christ. Where? In God. I mean, it don't get much more secure than that. In fact, I'm going to leave that right there for you just to look at so you can think about it the whole time we're going through it. It's amazing. He says, we are hidden with Christ in God. You can't get more secure than that. And the thought of losing it doesn't even really add up, does it? All right. Uh, He also says we're promised a future with him. Uh, Look at the implications of what he said there. We'll see him. Uh, We'll belong to him. We're loved by him. We reign with him, we're eternal with him, and all that's already done. Man, what an awesome verse. So there's one more point of note here. Paul's saying, or excuse me, Paul's not saying, put your heads in the clouds when he says above here. He's not saying put your head in the cloud and dream of heaven all day. And he's not saying sit in a corner and wait for Jesus to come back. Not what he's saying. He's saying that we need to set our minds above so that we have proper perspective looking back into our lives here. And on our day-to-day decisions. So that we can look at our hopes and our dreams and our goals and our aspirations. And we can consider from heaven's perspective, what real value do they have? Maybe you need to ask yourself that. Stop and think about them. From heaven's perspective, what real value do they have? That's called a worldview. Our worldview is a heavenly worldview. Ours should be above. That's what it means. Our view of God's kingdom shapes our view of the world. Do you hear me? Our view of God's kingdom shapes our view of the world. All right? Not the other way around. Our view of the world does not shape our view of God. All right? So, set your mind above. Second one, he says, put self to death. 
put self to death. So first of all, set your mind above, and then put self to death. There's a famous line, been around for a while. Honestly, I could probably Google it, but I didn't. To be fair, full disclosure, I don't know who originally said it, but I've heard it said many times. Be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Be killing sin or sin will be killing you. That's to believers. Verse 5. And the reason it's to believers is because if you're an unbeliever, you can't kill sin. Sin has just killed you. You're already dead. Apart from Ephesians 2, 1. Dead in our trespasses and sins. But by faith, Christ has made us alive through grace. So anyway. By grace through faith, excuse me. Verse 5, put to death, he says, therefore, what is earthly, verse 2, in you. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, he says here. And by the way, that's another command, another imperative, put to death. Sexual immorality, that's the word porneia. It's like pornography, prostitution, fornication, those things. Pornography, yes, it's in there. Impurity, he says, filthy. Dirty, that's what that means, especially related to sexuality. Passion, that's the idea of lust. Evil desire, that's craving or lusting for sin, like you just you want to be bad. Uh, and covetousness, that's basically the desire for more. It may mean what someone else has, but in general it just means I want more than I have. Uh, and he says, which is idolatry. Basically that whole list so far is covetous behavior. It's wanting more than is yours and, and going to a sinful place to get it. And that equals idolatry. You, you're worshiping, you're not satisfied with God, so you're going to something else. That's idolatry. Verse 6, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked uh, when you were living in them. Obviously they're not anymore. But he's saying you live that way too. He said he did as well in Ephesians. So he's saying, but now things have changed. Verse 8, but now you must put them all away. He says again, anger, which is just like unrestrained wrath. It's like building in you and it's not subsiding and you don't care. And then he says wrath and that's like fury, just steaming anger. Malice, which is perverting morals. For evil towards someone else. So, so, so taking a good situation, a potentially good situation, and perverting it into something wicked in order to hurt someone else. Uh, slander, he says, which is words that are meant to destroy someone else. And then he says obscene talk. Wow, that's basically shameful, filthy, abusive words. It doesn't have to be mean. It can be a joke. Anything that is shameful talk. Obscene, you know what obscene means. From your mouth, he says, verse 9, do not lie to one another. Do not lie. Lying is included in this. So remember, Paul's addressing believers here. So once again, it's a good point to recognize that these things are possible for believers. That's why he told the Romans this, which is a great verse. You memorize it if you haven't. Romans 13, 14. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Great statement. The main point here is, again, that if then, if you are a believer, these things should disgust you. They should break your heart. They should frustrate you. And if so, why do you keep doing them? Tony Evans said it's like taking a shower, getting scrubbed up clean, and then putting filthy clothes back on. Some say this is like, 
the dog returning to his vomit or the pig returning to the mud. But the problem is that this is not about dogs or pigs. It's about believers. The warning is that we're returning to our vomit as children of God. The problem is that we're returning to the mud as saints, not pigs. And the way to be free of these things, he says, and live like we belong in his kingdom is to first recognize who we are. And when we live like it, others are able to see his kingdom. When we live like this, they see his kingdom. And they're able to see what it is that we are anticipating. But when we live like we used to, or even worse, then we're showing no reason for anyone else to hope in Jesus at all. It's just a fact, guys. But look at the list there. Everything from sexual immorality to idolatry to obscene talk and lying. It's not just the bad things. He's got everything in between there. Paul doesn't say put to death this list of sins, though. He says put to death what is earthly. That's a huge list. Basically what he's saying is if your mind is above, identify what is not and kill it. Kill it. That's harsh words. Don't cripple it. Don't cage it. Kill it. Don't entertain it. Don't tickle it. Don't dance around it. Don't stand on the edge of it. Kill it. Don't listen to it. Kill it. Don't look at it. Kill it. Don't save it for later. Kill it. Don't question it. Kill it. That's what he's saying. And live like you belong here. Not here on earth, but here in his kingdom. And notice the wrath of God, he said, is, is, is coming. Is coming. The grace of God has already come. That's Christ. That's the cross. Now is the time of his mercy as he waits patiently, as grace extends to the ends of the earth through his church. But his wrath is coming. And nobody wants to hear it, I know. But it's a certainty. And Paul throws it right in there. So set your mind above, put self to death, and embrace transformation. Last one really quick. He said, talks about embracing this transformation. I was thinking about putting embracing change here, but change is not a strong enough word. It is transformation. It is literally the difference between a caterpillar and a butterfly, but even more so, it's a dead caterpillar into a living butterfly. That's the, what's happened. He says in verse 9, goes on to say, Seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, it's already been done, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of his creator. That's called sanctification. That's what we call it. It happens because of our position, not our deeds. It's because we belong to him, not because we've earned it. But because we belong to him, it's something that's happening to us. It says, God is conforming us to the image of his son who created us. Paul already worked that out earlier in Colossians. Ultimately, sanctifi sanctification will be complete one day when we will uh, appear with him in glory, where the text says we'll appear with him in glory. Well, when that day comes, then that sanctifi sanctification will be complete. But Paul basically here is saying, knowing that you're dead to sin and alive in Christ... Setting your mind on things above and putting to death things that are earthly. Now embrace what's already happening to you. 
already happening. The being renewed into the image of Christ. Accept that. Embrace that. Being renewed is the act of, it's entirely done through the Holy Spirit by God. And that renewal is connected directly, he says, to the intimacy or to the knowledge of our Creator. Knowledge of is basically the same language as becoming intimate with the Creator. The renewing of our minds, our hearts, our worldview. Uh, it's directly set in line with a growing relationship with Christ. That's what it says. If you're feeling like you can't be free of these sins, maybe some of these sins on this list, and maybe there's others, I'm sure, but maybe some of these on here, lying, maybe it's sexual immorality, I don't know. Maybe you feel like you can't be free of it, that you can't kill it. Then it's not because you're not strong enough. Listen to me. It's not because you're not strong enough to do it. It's not because you don't go to church enough. It's not because you're not praying enough. It's not because you're not fasting enough. It's because you aren't intimately close to Christ. That comes through being daily connected with him, through his word, through talking to him. Not fancy prayers, just talking. It comes through listening to him and responding when he tells you little things. And then, especially when it gets to be bigger things, so what, why embrace it, basically? Why, why do we want to embrace that? He says right here, here's a great reason for it, verse 11, because here, here in his kingdom, in Christ, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. The blessing is that here in his kingdom, listen, we're one. No slaves and frees. No Greeks and Jews. There's no advantage for one over another. God's not trying to renew... Listen, God's not trying to renew us into the image of our nationality or status. He's not trying to make a better me. He's not trying... God's not trying to make me a better Irish Christian. That's not what he's doing. He's not trying to make that happen. He's making all of us into the image of Christ as believers doesn't mean that our nationality is worthless. In Acts chapter 17, he notes plain and clear that he chose our nationality and our identity. He put that into place. It's sacred. All right? It means that we, as the, uh, you know, as those sinful people, we're being, we've been saved. The sinful person has died. And now we're being transformed into the image of Christ, is all he's saying, and part of Christ's body. Basically, this Irish man, this American, this African, this Jew is a, it should all look like Christ. I might still be American. I might still be European, but I am a, the image of Christ, if that makes sense. But maybe uh, as a believer, feel like you can't win. I know I've been there. Maybe you feel like you can't stop sinning. Just can't. Especially maybe you feel entangled to one in particular. The key to all of this is right at the beginning in setting your mind above. Recognize who you are. All right? What is happening to you? And letting go, let go, abandon the earthly things. Let go of earthly things. Abandon them. Set your heart and your mind on Christ and his eternal kingdom. And look, those earthly things, they stay dead. 
Let them go. Leave them. Keep your mind up there and focused on him. Let them stay dead and embrace the work of God in your life. Let him shape you into the model of Jesus so that others see it. Norman Dowdy, he was a pastor and author in the mid to late 1900s. He wrote this, and it's one of my favorite quotes. Uh, it's so freeing the first time I read it. He says this, If I'm to be like him, like Christ, if I'm to be like him, then God and his grace must do it. And the sooner I come to recognize it, the sooner I'll be delivered from another form of bondage. Throw down every endeavor and say I cannot do it. The more I try, the farther I get from his likeness. What shall I do? Ah, the Holy Spirit says you cannot do it. Just withdraw. Come out of it. You've been in the arena. You've been endeavoring. You are a failure. Come out and sit down. And as you sit there, behold him. Look at him. Don't try to be like him. Just look at him. Just be occupied with him. Forget about trying to be like him. Instead of letting that fill your mind and heart, let him fill it. Just behold him. Look upon him through the word. Come to the word for one purpose, and that is to meet the Lord. Amen. So if your family with us in him, together in him, then live like you belong here. I say it to me too. That last statement he said is so good. He is all and in all. He is ours and we are his. And it's all for his glory alone. Man, that's bank. Look, there's a picture of Christ here. Maybe you've seen it. Picture of the kingdom here if you don't know him. There's true equality here. There is access to all races across all socioeconomic statuses. It's right there in what I read. There's respect in there. There's respect for sexual intimacy in there in his kingdom. In his kingdom, there's respect for what belongs to others. In his kingdom, there's respect for others in our language and the way we talk. In his kingdom, it's truth at all times. In his kingdom, there's no anger, no hate, no evil desires for anyone. Knowledge of our creator, we gain that in his kingdom. Hope of heaven, we gain that in his kingdom. Hope of being with him and intimate knowledge of him in his kingdom. Complete security in his kingdom. If this is the kingdom you've been looking for, if this is the kingdom you've been looking for, it is the kingdom of Christ and it is yours by faith. Surrender to him today. Take a knee, tell him you are done. Ask him to take your sin, take your life, and grant you his, his life, his righteousness. He'll do it. He's promised to in his word, and I know he will. Do that today. Say it however you want to say it. I'm a sinner. Jesus, save me. Find people that will help you learn his word. If you're in the East Valley, please tell us and come this way. We want to know. We want to connect with you. We want to pray for you. Lastly, if you're already part of his family, the church here, look, make a change. Set your mind above. Find the path, listen, to enjoy spending time with him. That's the key. Find the path to enjoy spending time with him in prayer and in his word. Take a walk and talk out loud to him. Instead of laying on your face trying to focus on, take a walk. 
Whatever you see around you, talk to him about it. Wow, that's an amazing bee, God. I don't know how he flies, how you did that. I mean, whatever. I'm not trying to be, maybe I'm cutting up a little, but I'm being serious. Talk to him. Find ways to enjoy being with him. Find things in his word that intrigue you. Trust me, there are stories in here that will blow your mind. Find those. Spend time on those. Talk to him about them. Ask him about it. God, what in the world were you thinking with that one? You know, things like that. Just be honest with him and let that create intimacy with you and him. It will renew your mind. It will empower you to put to death the things that are earthly and all of these sins that entangle you. Let me pray for you. Lord, I love you. I thank you for each and every ear that's heard this uh, because it's your word, not mine. Uh, my own ears included. God, I pray you help us to lay it to our hearts and use it for your glory in our lives. And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen.